I entitled tonight's service, The Fiery Streams from God's Presence. And what I'm going to teach on tonight will tie in with the Feast of Hanukkah, it will tie in with Christmas, and we're going to see Christ Jesus himself, who's enthroned upon high, who's seated upon, the, uh, upon God's heavenly chair. Amen. Amen. So, um, as, we, as our custom is, we're going to open up with a Torah prayer, and I'll invite you to repeat after me. Baruch Ata Adonai. Eloheinu. Melech HaOlam. Asher Kideshanu. Bemitzvotav. La Asok. Bedivrei. Torah. Blessed are you. Lord our God. King, I'm sorry, ruler of the universe. Who has sanctified us. With commandments. And commanded us. To study words of Torah. And Lord, tonight we just bless your name this evening. Lord, I pray that every one of us will be transformed by reason of your glory tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to talk about the fiery streams from God's presence. Now, as, we, as we've been learning a lot in the last few weeks, God's throne in Hebrew is known as the Merkava. Can you say that with me? Merkava? Merkava. Merkava is translated into English as chariot. Now in Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and, and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. In one of the translations of the Humash, it says that the... Um, that the chariots of God, that the um, the chariots of God's glory hovered over the waters. So God's presence, God's chariot was already present even at the time of the creation. Amen. Amen. And the chariot is not some physical chariot the way we perceive chariots. When I think about chariots, I think about Roman chariots or Egyptian chariots. I just think about chariots of the great armies of, of historic times. Yeah. But the chariot that Ezekiel talks about, that Isaiah speaks about that John the Beloved speaks about in Revelation, is not, they, 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 they all have the same vision, but they describe the vision in their own words, and they, and they describe different aspects of, of the same uh, revelation of the chariot. Amen? Amen? So in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So tonight's teaching deals with the glory and the things that are surround the, the, God's glorious presence. The chariot is not a physical chariot in the sense we perceive physical things. What I'm going to speak to you tonight about are, are heavenly things. And we in our spiritual poverty will have a very difficult time um, really uncomprehending what God is revealing. I don't believe that Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, um, and, and, um, really perceive the complete depth of God's glory. They all perceive God's glory in part. Amen? And we as human beings, we, we perceive God's glory in a limited dimension. Does that make sense? Because yes. we can never completely comprehend God. I mean, God's, way, God's glory is infinite. It's way beyond our understanding. But we can perceive and comprehend parts of God's glory. Amen? Amen. And just to repeat a little bit of last week, um, before I do that, um, the vision that Isaiah has is the same vision of the chariot that Ezekiel has. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, it reads, And as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north. 
and a great cloud with brightness round about it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming bronze. It's the same vision, but, there, but each prophet is articulating a different aspect of God's chariot. Yes. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, John says, At once I was in the Spirit, and lo, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Well, who is the one seated on the throne? It's Jesus, right? It's the Son of Man, the Son of God. It's Jesus in all of His glory seated upon that throne. It's the, same, I mean, it's the same vision that Daniel had where he saw the Son of Man sitting on His throne. God's throne is not a static throne like Queen Elizabeth's throne in, in, in Buckingham Palace. God's throne is a mobile throne, but the components of God's throne uh, the components of God's throne are not physical things. Like the wheels that, uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the side of the chariot that move the chariot are not physical wheels. The Hebrew word for these wheels, it, that, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel describes them as wheels within a wheel, right? These wheels are not physical wheels. These wheels are the, the Hebrew word afanim, and afanim are an angelic species of angels. So everything that builds the, the components of the chariot are angels. Even the fire, the storm, the, the amber, the bronze, everything that you see in, in Ezekiel's vision are different angelic species. Make sense? Yes. And then as you read down in Ezekiel chapter 1, which we'll probably do next week, we can even talk about the cherubim, the seraphim, the angelic species that propel this heavenly chariot. And every angelic species represents a different aspect of the anointing. How many of you desire to move in the anointing? Mm -hmm. You desire God to use you. Yes. You desire God to use you in the realm of signs and wonders. Yes. That your word is followed with signs and wonders. Amen? Because God's word is not just to be stagnant. It is, to, it, it is moving. Like often even always moving. The word of God is always moving. It's always active. And, God, and, and God's going God's gonna to confirm his word with signs and wonders. Amen? Amen. You know, I, I, I love watching the videos, and I share this with you almost every week now. I love watching YouTube videos of the ministry of Catherine Coleman. And I love how sensitive she was to the Holy Spirit. I mean, she could stop, she would stop the whole service and have everyone become silent because she is so sensitive to the Spirit of God. You know, I was teaching on, um, earlier this week, and I was talking about uh, how a mother is with her newborn child. And a mother can hear her newborn child a mile away. I mean, that they're so connected that God's given mothers such an instinct that they just, they just know what's going on with their child. Well, how much more should we be when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we, um, he's, he's our helper, he's our comforter. Jesus sent us the comforter after, uh, uh, on Pentecost Sunday, on Pentecost. Amen. So we need to become so intimate with the, with the Lord, so intimate with the Holy Spirit that we, that we know when he's moving. Because the, char the, the heavenly chariot has Ophanim. And the angelic species that controls the chariot are the cherubim, or cherubs. The cherubs only move as the Spirit of God moves them. When the spirit, when the wind stops, the angels stop. The chariot stops, and 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 their faces are always forward, and they only do what the spirit of God is doing. That is how we are to be in the anointing: is following the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
The Apostle Paul knew when God was telling him not to go to a certain place. He was so sensitive. And I don't know how to explain this in words, but I pray the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher tonight, He will teach us and He will impart to us the revelation of sensitivity. Yeah. A, a, such a sensitivity that when the Spirit of God is grieved, you'll be grieved too. When the Spirit of God is joyous, you'll be, you will be joyful too. I mean, I don't, it, it's like such a, such a connection with the Holy Spirit. You're so connected, lock in step with the Spirit of God and doing exactly what, what He wants you to do. So if you're preaching, you preach the way he wants you to preach. When he tells you to change, when he tells you to change directions, you change directions. Yeah. When he tells you to increase your volume, you increase your volume. We, we want to follow the Spirit of God every single step of the way, don't we? Yes. I mean, the greatest analogy I can think of, just in my own life, is uh, you know playing you know playing an instrument in an orchestra, where you're so in tune with everything going on around you. You're right in sync with all, with all the musicians around you. Uh, you you're, you're, you're following the conductor. I mean, everything is done correctly in timing and, and, you know, and, and in perfect harmony. Yes. And that's how we want to be with the anointing, in perfect, in perfect union with the Spirit of God. Yes. And, and this, this takes years and years and years to, uh, to, to, to develop. It takes trials. It takes fiery trials. It takes testing in life. To develop the sensitivity. Amen? Yeah. And everyone that I've studied, all the great generals I've studied in the body of Christ, and even the great rabbis that I've studied in history, every single one has gone through tremendous testing and crucifixion in their own life before the anointing comes upon them. Amen? Every great book I've read by the greats, every one, every author has gone through tremendous testing. Because I'm telling you, everything that works well in God's kingdom only comes forth through great testing. Amen? Amen. It's through the fiery testing. It, it's through rejection. I believe a prophet is made through failures. Because God will test us and test us and test us. But you know, it's worth the price. Because the anointing that comes forth, it, I, I'll pay any price for. Because there's nothing like being led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. And I encourage all of you to, to really discover that sensitivity in your own life. Yeah. Allow God to use all your trials for His glory. Don't waste your trials. Don't waste your suffering. But allow God to use everything for His glory. Amen? Because just like the heavenly chariot, God is building each and every one of you into a chariot. What does Paul the Apostle tell us? Is that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are a chariot of the Holy Spirit. So you need to develop all the components of your being. I don't, I'm trying to articulate this properly. I'm having a hard time. But just as God's heavenly chariot has all these angelic hosts propelling it, we need to become so sensitive to the Spirit of God that we learn how to move when He says move, we learn how to stop when He says stop. And we learn how to follow His direction in every area of our life. Amen? Because God wants to use every one of you, from princess to King David, from the youngest to the eldest. God wants to use each and every one of us. And you're going to go from glory to glory to glory. Amen? In Jesus' name. Amen. This is how Daniel describes God's glory, the throne of God's glory. He describes it as a fiery flame with wheels of burning fire. Rep Daniel 7.9 As I looked, thrones were placed, and one that was ancient of days took his seat. His raiment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I was just engrossed 
into biblical, into end time prophecy. I must have watched every single prophecy teacher on TBN to learn about prophecy. Him, Lindsay, and there were, there were maybe a couple others out there at the time. And, and I'm telling you, I just, I just, I mean, I, I could not get out of Daniel and, 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 and Revelation. Because I was just, I was just engrossed in biblical prophecy. But the more I heard about biblical prophecy, the more confused I became. Not to really say anything negative about those that I listen to. It's, it's just because God, it's like God is, God is accelerating the knowledge in these last days. So the, so the things that we knew in the 80s, we know more now about biblical prophecy. And God's revealing more because the second coming of Christ is very near. No. I believe in the rapture, and the rapture will take place before the second coming. And we are going to be caught up in, this, in the sky with Christ Jesus in the clouds, and we will become like He is. Amen? Amen. And, we, and we will return to earth in the second coming. And the last battle that will take place will be the battle of, of, of Christ Jesus versus God and Magog. So, and, and everything in biblical prophecy, it, it, you know, we always think of prophecy that we read in Ezekiel and Daniel and a Revelation as just end time events. But one thing about prophecy is, it's not a one time event. Think of prophecy like something that echoes. You know, if I, if I shout in a hallway, what am I going to hear? It's, it's going to echo back many, many times, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I used to love walking into caves in India, in Pune, India, because I could, I could make a loud noise and I just keep, I, I could keep mm -hmm. hearing the echoes coming back. Mm -hmm. And prophecy is like that, because prophecy will be fulfilled over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. For example, when you, read, when you read about the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Every single step they took, every journey that they took, every place that they visited, every experience they went to were prophetic parallels or prophetic echoes of what would take place of, with Israel in future generations. Mm -hmm. You all remember when Benjamin was, re, was re, reunited with Joseph. Mm -hmm. They embraced each other. They wept on each other's necks. Now when we read this, we just... We just rejoice, but look, two brothers have been, uh, you know, they've been, they've been re reunited. But when, 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 a, when, a, when a rabbi looks at this, they'll tell you this is a prophecy. Because the temples, the, the tabernacle in Shiloh and the temple in Jerusalem, each stood on their corresponding territories of land. So when they wept on each other's neck, they were weeping about the future destruction of the tabernacle and, and, and temples in Jerusalem. See, everything they went through was prophetic. When Abram, Abram and Sarai were in famine in the land, they descended to Egypt. That was prophetic of what would take place in Israel hundreds of years, I'm sorry, in Egypt hundreds, hundreds of years later when Jacob and his sons in the 70, the all the 70 souls descended into Egypt when Joseph saved them from famine. Right? So everything that we read has prophetic echoes. Right now we are, we are coming into the feast of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is an eight-day biblical feast starting this Sunday evening. Even, and, and the simple understanding of this feast is God delivered the Israelites or through the Hashemonian family where 6,000 Maccabees revolted against 47,000 Syrian Greeks took back the territory, took back the temple, rededicated the temple to God. They only had enough oil for, to light the menorah for one day. They lit the menorah, and God supernaturally kept the menorah lit for eight days, giving them enough time to, produ to produce more oil. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Right? That's the simple understanding. Yeah. And and who desecrated the temple? It was it, it, it was it was Antiochus the fourth. He 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 desecrated the temple and he sacrificed a pig, the most the most unkosher animal in Judaism, and sacrificed that pig in the Holy of Holies to the Greek idol Zeus. And Antiochus the Fourth was a type of Antichrist. So you're going to see many Antichrists in, in, throughout history. Amen. And the last Antichrist we read about in the book of Revelation. Amen? Amen. So one thing I want you to know, don't, when you get hung up on prophecy, don't look at prophecy as if it's just a single time event. Prophecy is fulfilled over and over and over and over again. If you go to the book of Revelation, which we won't do tonight, it reads right down those things which were, which are, and which will. Which would be. I look at Revelation as if you're looking down into the earth from the perspective of God's perspective, where you're looking at time from the beginning Amen. to the end. Amen? Amen. Because God is not restricted by our, our linear dimension of time. Amen. God can see the end from the beginning. Amen? Amen. I mean, what took place on the, Mount of, on the Mount of Transfiguration? There appeared Elijah and Moses with, with, with Jesus. I mean, I don't know if God transported Elijah and, and Moses from the past, or they, they came down from heaven to meet Jesus. I don't know the answer. But all I know is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know God is not restricted by time. He created time for our, for our benefit. Amen. Amen. And in Daniel 7, 9, again we see the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Don't look at this as a one-time event on, on, uh, as a judgment day. Because Judgment Day takes place every year at Rosh Hashanah. So on Rosh Hashanah, which is on the seventh, on, in the seventh month, the first day, the first day of Tishri, our, the, the biblical year incremented to 5780. So, and right now, right now we are in the, in the 12th month on the Hebrew calendar, which is the month of, actually the ninth month, right? Uh, the, the month of Kislev on the Hebrew calendar. And Sunday night begins the 25th day of Kislev, which is the first day of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the reason why I'm emphasizing the date is because, remember I talked about the wheels? Mm -hmm. And the Hebrew word for those wheels are aponim, which are an angelic species. The wheels speak about cycles. They speak about timing. They speak about God's plan. And everything that God does in the creation is done during the biblical feast. So we're so busy trying to get God things to do things in our own calendar. You know, we need to realign our calendar and realign our lives with God's biblical calendar. Amen. 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 Everything that took place in Jesus' life took place during a biblical feast. For example, Jesus came to Solomon's porch on during the Feast of Dedication. Guess what? The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. Jesus gave honor and validity to Hanukkah when, 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 he, when he came to Jerusalem on, during the Feast of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. Jesus, was, Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead during the Feast of Passover. Why is Passover significant? That is the feast in which the Jews came out of Egypt. On the second day of Passover, they, they, uh, they, the day before they struck the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they came out of Egypt Right? Well, guess what? Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead during Passover. Now, also, after Christ, um, after, Christ, after Christ rose from the dead, how many days did he walk on the earth? Forty days, right? And the fortieth day he ascended to heaven, the day we call Ascension Sunday. 
And then we count another 10 days and what takes place? Pentecost. So how many days? 40 plus 10 is 50. Thus we get the name Pentecost, meaning 50th in Greek. So the 50th day Pentecost is the day in which uh, the Holy Spirit descended in the upper room and, and each person in the, in the upper room, 120, received a cloven tongue of fire. And they all spoke in other tongues. And there were all these Jews outside and they all heard the 120 speaking in their own tongue. The question you should ask is, why were all these Jews assembled in Jerusalem that came from all the parts of the earth that came to Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost? Why were they there? The reason is, the Jew Jewish men were required to come to the temple in Jerusalem three times per year. The first time is Passover, the second time is during Pentecost, and the third time is during the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah. So the day that the Spirit of God descended upon the upper room was the Feast of Pentecost, but the Hebrew name, the name that the Jews give the feast, the name that Moses gives the feast, is not Pentecost. He calls it, they call it Shavuot. Amen? And Pentecost that we read about in Acts is not the first Pentecost. The very first Pentecost that we learn about in Scripture, in the Torah, takes place at Mount Sinai. So, do you remember I told you to count 50? 50 days from Jesus' resurrection to Pentecost? The Jews left Egypt on the second day of Passover. When they left Egypt, they began a 50-day count. And guess what happened? The 50th day was Shavuot, or Pentecost. And on the first Shavuot, or the first Pentecost, God descended upon Mount Sinai. He spoke the Ten Commandments in a single utterance. His raw voice was heard. And the rabbis teach us that when, before God spoke each commandment individually, He spoke all the commandments in a single utterance in all the 70 languages of the world. And guess what happened at Pentecost in Acts? They, all the people heard the 120 speaking in their own tongue. There's so many parallels between the first Pentecost and the Pentecost we read about in Acts. The rabbis also teach us that every time God spoke a, a commandment, fiery streams issued forth all around the camp of Israel. Guess what? 120 cloven tongues of fire descended upon the 120 in the upper room. Yeah. See, that's what I don't believe that, there, that we have a different God of the Old Testament and a different God of the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? You know, we always think, well, I don't need the Old Testament, I'm a Christian. You know what? You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And you know what? I, if I had it my way, I wouldn't divide the two. The Bible is Genesis through Revelation. I, I, would, not, I would not divide it into Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, I believe calling the Old Testament old is, is, kind, of a, is, is, is kind of insulting. There's nothing old about the Old Testament. And there's nothing new about the New Testament because everything in the New Testament was prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures. Right? You know, as Dr. Crowley, as, uh, as she teaches us, she never uses the term Old Testament. She calls the, the Scriptures, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, from Genesis through Malachi. Right? And Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, before the Jews exited Egypt, they struck the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, symbolizing the redemption that would take place through Christ Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, 
his blood was struck on the doorpost of the cross. Make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, and everything that takes place in the life of Jesus, all the major events take place during a biblical feast. And we ourselves need to align our lives in, in, into alignment with the Ophanim, with the cycles of God. Amen? Because we live in two spheres of time. We, in Greek, we use the word kairos for um, supernatural time. Right, where we in, in, uh, which involve God's biblical feast. The Hebrew word, the, the Hebrew equivalent is the word moedim. Can you say moedim? Moedim. So whenever you read in it, when God when God speaks to uh, uh, about gathering, especially in Leviticus chapter twenty three of the feast of the Lord, these shall be divine convocations. Divine these shall be meetings. These are not meetings or feasts or festivals in which we get together and, and have a great party and eat a lot of food. These are times of encounter with God's presence. Amen? So, I, 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 I want you to allow yourself to be lined up with the Hebrew feast. Because everything that takes place, even in Scripture, takes place during the feast. Look at the book of Revelation. Revelation has so many parallels to the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, as John says in Revelation 1. Well, guess what? The Lord's day is a Hebrew concept. It's not a Christian concept. The Lord's day, if any Jew reads that, they'll know the Lord's day speaks about Rosh Hashanah. It's judgment day. It's the day of remembrance. It's the day in which all of creation passes before God in a judgment. See, at the very last, there will be a final judgment day. When, when, all, when the thrones will be set up and we will all be judged. And we will be used to judge angels, according, as, according, as the scripture tells us. But even every single year, we go through a judgment day as well. Every one of us has to give an accounting to God for the way we handle our ministry. And God is so merciful that he gives us this, I call it a preliminary judgment day. Because God will tell us where we're strong and where we're weak. Then he, then he gives us ten more days to work on our issues. In the tenth day, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the entire year, our judgment or our destiny is sealed for the next twelve months. All right, isn't that awesome? Yes. It's, and, and look at Revelation chapter two and chapter three, and look at how Jesus speaks to this, the churches of Asia. He tells them this is you know he tells them what what they're strong in. He tells them where they're excelling. And then he'll say, I have this thing against you. You have, you have forsaken your first love. And he tells one church that you tolerate the doctrine of, 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 of Jezebel. Yeah. See, you, you, see, you see how he's speaking? And he speaks with so much love. And out of his mouth comes the double-edged sword. The double-edged sword represents how God can divide and he understands our thoughts and he, he discerns even our way of thinking. You know, we all have a way of processing our, our uh, way things go on around us. You know, one thing I've learned, especially being in the ministry for these last several years, is it, especially when you're, if you, you're correcting somebody, uh, you, you have to give a review. I mean, things I hate to do, but it's just necessary, is you have to look at the way the person may receive what you say to them. Because yeah. if someone has all these emotional things and hang-ups, and, uh, uh, they may discern what you're saying in the wrong manner. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so a, a person that's come, come, had an upbringing where they've gone through tremendous rejection in life, and and it doesn't matter what you say to them, they're gonna they're gonna interpret it the opposite way. Yes. And after, when they say when they respond to you, you know you, I re, you realize wait I was not even saying what what they're hearing. Yeah. 
So that's what I believe the double-edged double sword deals with, that he, he can break through all that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I can't point, I can't point the finger at, finger at anybody. We all have issues in life. We all have those sensitive spots, don't we? Yeah. And there's certain, certain situations in life where you have, you have to be very delicate, like a surgeon, when you're dealing with certain character flaws. Because we, 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 we all have these hang you, you have to be very delicate in the way you tackle some issues. But the more, you get, the more you deal with the issues, the more you allow the Spirit of God to bring correction in your life and to bring your character into God's alignment, the anointing is going to increase in your life. And it's not easy to receive correction. How many of you love receiving Kohan? <laughs> you just love it. So you say, bring me more. No, I don't. My prayer is, Lord, please be very delicate with me when you bring me correction. Because it's not, it's not easy to re I mean, if you're honest about it, most of us have a hard time receiving correction. Right? But the ones that receive correct, the ones that develop the skill to receive correction will go very far in life, in every area of life, in the corporate world, in ministry, wherever you may. Those that are willing and, and willing to take the steps to correct character flaws are going to go so far. Amen? Yeah. Do you think Moses' life was easy? I mean, look at how many corrections he received directly from God. You know, sometimes I'd rather receive the correction from somebody else. But Moses received correction directly from God. And those were not easy corrections. I mean, look at how God dealt with Moses. Remember when God told Moses to go deliver the Israelites? And, and, and Moses said something negative about them. And this is in the Exodus. Then God tells Moses, put your hand in your garment. Yeah. Then take it out. And what did, what did his hand look like? Leprous. It became leprous. Oh. And, then, and then he put it back inside and took that and it was, his skin was like a baby skin. When we look at that, we go, wow, look at how God is dealing with Moses and showing these miracles. But you know what? God was giving Moses a rebuke. And God is telling Moses, how can you speak Lush and Hora? How can you speak evil speech about my people? Because what happened in Israel in the 40 years, whenever um, evil speech was spoken, there would, be a, there would often be a physical manifestation of a spiritual malady. So the glory was so thick in, in the wilderness that, that even evil speech was not tolerated by God. And, and that's when you enter the realm of God's glory, you know, we all want to be in God's glory, but you know what? When you enter God's glory, you have to be very careful in the way you think and the way you speak. Yeah. So when Moses spoke negatively about Israel, God struck Moses with, with um, a condition known as Metzora. No, he became, he, uh, it's called Zarat, I believe. The Hebrew word is Zarat. And, it was, it, and it's not leprosy the way we know Hansen's disease. This was a spiritual condition. Mm -hmm. And God healed him right away, of course. But you have to be very careful when you speak against God's people. I mean, God, God loved Moses so much, and he judged him right away. Look at how God, dealt with, how God dealt with Miriam when she spoke negatively about Moses. She was struck with that Zara condition as well, that spiritual leprosy. Yeah. But you know what? She repented, and Moses repented. And look at Elijah's ministry. Elijah often spoke negatively about God's people. And throughout his ministry, God was trying to teach Elijah the attribute of his mercy. 
And what you're going to see throughout Scripture and what we see in this white throne judgment seat is that we always see God as being angry and judgmental. But God leads with the attribute of mercy and loving kindness. Because God corrects those that he loves. So every, I want you to allow God to deal with your stuff. You know, we see, we see Christ Jesus himself. His, his raiment was white as snow. And we look at this and go, like, he's wearing his most beautiful physical garment. No, these are spiritual garments. Mm-hmm. And the, the, rain, the white raiment speaks about what God wants to do with you. He wants to wash you from your sins with his precious blood. Amen. And make, you, make your soul, make your, uh, refine your character to where you're white like snow. This is not a physical whiteness. This is talking about purity and, and cleansing. Amen? Mm-hmm. And then it says this the hair of his head like pure wool, meaning his judgments are so pure, and he's full of loving kindness. His throne was fiery flames. What does fiery, what do, what do flames do? They purify. And its wheels were burning fire. The fiery flame with wheels of burning fire. These wheels are often named the cycles of God. And this is, this is just one aspect of God's glory. And in verse 9 it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garments was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. Now what is wool used for? Warm for clothing. For warm for clothing. How about in terms of like a, a for scrub? Like a, you know, let's say you got like, you, you've got a, you know, before you, you had dishwashers, and you, you need to clean a pot with some very heavy stain. Steel wool. You use steel wool, right? And you use that steel wool to scrub those stains out, right? And it takes time to get those stains out. Well, that is how we, that's, that's the way that God will deal with some of our sins. Yeah. There are some sins that we, we keep going to God, God, confess my sin. And you're repenting your sin. And God, Lord, I know that this action is sin. I know these thoughts are sinful. But Lord, I just can't stop doing it. I love doing that sin so much. Mm-hmm. What you know, whatever it may be, you just keep doing. It's habitual. You keep going back to it, mm-hmm. and and, it's, and you're so frustrated because you can't make any progress away from it. That's where you need to allow the steel wool of heaven to scrub out the root of that sin. Yes. Amen. It it may be rejection in your life. It may be. Uh, it may be uh, maybe someone that experienced a molestation in, in their childhood. Yeah. It could be, you know, whatever it may be. I'm just being real with you all tonight. But what you know, things that are taking place, especially when you're young, will, will stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and, and if it's not for the precious blood of Jesus, you can't get free of that of, of that sin. Amen. Or you may come from a family in the bloodline where there's always there's always an there's always alcoholics in the bloodline, yeah. or there's poverty in the bloodline. It's like it's like every generation. Is, is stuck in this in cycle of poverty. Or you might see a bloodline where there's always someone that becomes extremely wealthy and loses it. And it happens over and over and over again throughout the generations. You know, sometimes we need to get to the root of the sin. Amen? Sometimes it requires uh, breaking generational bondages. But, you know, but we need to allow the, the wool of heaven, which as, as described here, as pure wool. Because Christ Jesus is a refiner's fire. And allow him to purify and allow him to get to the very roots. 
And sometimes he will, he will speak to you as through that double-edged sword and show us things that, that are very hard, very hard for, for us to hear, but we need to hear the truth because the truth will set us free. Amen? Amen. One thing I love about Torah study is uh, studying the Bible from the rabbinic perspective is it, it forces you to deal with your stuff. You know, we, we're so used to shoving all our issues under the carpet and we come to church and we say, everything, we all look beautiful, we, everything looks wonderful in life. But you know what, that's not true. You know, we need to allow God to, I mean, and, and God is so humble, he, he's so kind. He's not, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're humble, God's not going to put you to shame. He's not going to, he's not going to expose you. I mean, if you're willing for him to deal with your stuff, uh, he, he will do it with, without humiliating you. Amen? There are times when, think, when people are exposed and humiliated, but that's the last resort. That is the very last resort. Can I give you another aspect of the Hebrew feast? Because we're talking about the opening tonight. We're talking about the cycle of God. Do you all remember what took place after, uh, in the Nuremberg trials after World War II? So we, we, we had Nazi criminals on trial for crimes against humanity. And there were 11 men, actually it's really 10 men, but there were 11 that were convicted and were sentenced to die on a certain day. But the sentencing was delayed, and guess what day they were hung? They were hung on the 21st day of the seventh month. Right on the, day, right on the biblical feast day, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the 21st day of Tishri, is the day in which God executes His judgment upon the nations. Amen. See, even what God does in the earth takes place during God's biblical cycle. And, I mean, God, and God gives us all time to repent. And you know what? History is repeating itself once again. It's scary, isn't it? It's really... You know what I read? Um, I'm not sure. It was on. A, I believe. It, I think. It, I think it was on one of the Torah websites that I that, that I subscribed to, and it read it read that one out of four Europeans is anti-Semitic. I mean, it's it's horrifying. And before we point the point finger at another continent, look at what happened in Beverly Hills this week at a synagogue. It, there, there was a. Um, uh, what did they do? They um, vandalized a, a synagogue in Beverly Hills this week. Look at what happened in, 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 in New Jersey. So, I mean, we're, we're facing it here in the U.S. as well. And so, and persecution is coming to the body of Christ. Jews and, and, and Christians. Yes. And there's things that I want to share with you, but I, 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 can't, I can't share it with you on, in a public platform. But, but everything that we read about in Daniel is coming to place today. Antichrist is coming on the scene. Everything that Daniel saw, the last empire, is, is, is everything's in place for the coming of Antichrist. And Christ Jesus is coming any day now. In Ezekiel chapter one, we see the four. We, we see. We see the we see the storm. We see the clouds. And within. That, the, the clouds that we see here represent the exiles of the Jewish people. The Jewish people would go through four exiles. We don't count the Egyptian exile. But we count, the first exile we count is the Babylonian exile. The first exile, the Babylonian exile, it represented by the lion in one of Daniel's visions. 
the line to the, the first exile is the Babylonian exile, and the Babylonian exile is an exile of power. It's representing trust in God's divine power and replacing it with, with, with trust in earthly power. Then the second, because every exile that the Jews go through and, and that we experience in, in part represents a certain, ex, certain exile that we go through in our own lives. Exile number one, Babylon, represents power. Replace the power of God with earthly power. The second exile is the exile of the Medes and Persians. In Daniel's dream, it represents the, 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 the bear. This exile represents the lust for pleasure. We all, in, starting in January, we're going to start studying about Purim, right? And what book do we read during Purim? The book of Esther, right? Look at the book of Esther, and if, look, just take the book of Esther, and read it as if you're reading it as a standalone book, and read it as if you have no biblical understanding. When you read the book, I'll ask you to count the number of times the name God is used, and the answer is zero. God is not mentioned at all. Then look at the book, and look, look at how much attention is, is spent on, on, on details that have no significance. The furnishings of the palace, the colors, the, the partying and the drunken feast that took place and all the food and everyone it did this, you know, it's all the details have no spiritual significance on the surface level reading. The reason why Mordecai wrote it in this manner is so that it would be hidden from the culture of Persia so they would not know the real message that was hidden within the scroll of Esther. Because the scroll of Esther is a, re is a rebuke to the Jewish leaders of the time. Because they put more emphasis on the king's feast than on the heavenly king's feast. And so all the details deal with pleasure because the Greek culture, not the Greek, I'm sorry, the Persian culture was consumed with earthly pleasure. Sensual pleasure. So the temptation that we encounter in the, in the Medes and Persian exile is that we replace the pleasure <coughs> for God's word. Because we should, our, our delight should be in God's word, right? But what, what Satan will do is replace that, will cause you to replace your love for God's Torah, for God's word, and replace that love with sensual earthly pleasure. Look, look, look what happens in your own life when you start to become a little lukewarm. You start, you lose your affection for the things of God. Your, your worship diminishes. You stop loving things of God. And you replace your pleasure in God in God, and replace it with earthly pleasure. And you start doing things that give you pleasure that have no spiritual value whatsoever. I'm not saying you can't enjoy yourself. What I am saying is you, you need to examine your conscience on a daily, on a daily basis. Right? That's the, that's the second exile that we all go through. The third exile of the Jewish people was the exile of the Greeks. As we're celebrating right now with, with the Maccabean revolt and the, and the Feast of Hanukkah. That feast represents, I mean not the feast, the, the exile represents replacing the knowledge of God with worldly knowledge. See, the third exile is the exile of the Greeks. In the, in the, in the world's political scene, it was led by Alexander the Great when he, when he conquered much of the known world. And he, and he conquered the Holy Land. The Greeks were consumed with earthly knowledge. Yeah. What, what did Greece give us? Aristotle, Socrates, all the great Western scholars have, have come from Greece. 
not all of them, many have. And we live in a culture today of, of that Greek philosophy, don't we? I mean, it's part of our culture, whether you accept it or, or not. It's all it's something we, we all have to deal with. And that exile replaces the knowledge of God's word with earthly knowledge. See, Satan's plan is to eliminate, is to remove from the earth, eradicate the knowledge of God from the earth. The fourth exile of Jewish people, and this is seen in Ezekiel's vision of, of the fiery storm, and is also seen in the prophecies of Daniel. The fourth exile is the Roman exile. The Roman exile, as we see in the Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as Daniel interpreted, it represents the feet of the statue in the dream that were partly of clay and partly of iron, I believe. And that culture, the Roman culture, represents the culture of insecurity. It has many meanings, but this is one meaning. And it's a culture of insecurity, a culture of fear. And we are still living in that Roman exile today. The Roman exile is not any country, and it's not even the, it's not even the country of Italy. It's just that the, the culture that we're living in today. And, it will, and, and that this, this rule, this exile will not end until Christ Jesus comes. And this exile is an exile of insecurity. It's really something that plagues all of the Western world. It, it's, we're all consumed with, uh, with fear. We're all consumed with insecurity. We wonder what's going to happen if I lose my job. You know, and, and we put our faith in the world system, but the world system is unstable, and, it, it, and we're, we're, think we're always we're afraid of everything. We're, what happens if I lose my health? What happens if I lose this? Because guess what takes place? This exile is an exile of where you lose your trust in divine providence. Amen. Where your foundation is no longer God, but you're trusting the system of the world. I'm not speaking about America. I'm not speaking about any physical country. I'm just speaking about the exile in a spiritual sense, and we all live under that struggle. Right? So these are, these are the things we're fighting. And I've completely deviated my notes tonight. I don't mind. I don't even know where I am in my notes tonight. It doesn't really matter. Um, it, the future, I'm going to ask you all a question. I have no idea what time it is. Oh, we're still on time. Because <laughs> I need to go about two more hours. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you all a question. Now, we're going to go through the opening again. We're going to go through the cycle of God. So that God's time. When you think about Passover, now I want you to picture this. 600,000 men, if you add women and children, you've probably got a, a, a few million people, leaving Egypt. God parts the, the Sea of Reeds. I know we call it the, the Red Sea. It's the wrong translation. It's, it's the, the real translation of Sea of Reeds. And God splits the sea into 12 lanes, and all the Israelites pass through. Each individual tribe passes across in their own individual lanes wow. and, and, and cross upstream of, uh, during all that sea. On a, and, and God, you know, God, there's these great, just great walls of water um, as the Israelites walk through. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how great of a miracle is this? 10 plus, right? Yeah. Now, let's come to the second major feast. Let's come to the feast of, of Pentecost or Shavuot. The first Pentecost. Israel gathered at Mount Sinai. God's raw voice is heard. I mean, can you imagine hearing God's raw, audible voice? I mean, 
on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate that miracle? Twenty. Twenty, right? <laughs> then let's come to the third major feast, third biblical feast, the third regalim, the feast of, of Sukkot, or the feast of Tabernacles, representing how God protected Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. They were surrounded by seven clouds of God's glory. Now, I want you to picture this. During those 40 years, not a single Israelite had to visit an outlet store, an outlet Amen. mall. Amen. They, they didn't shop for any garments. There were no malls. Because the garment supernaturally grew with it. And they never had to visit a laundromat. Because when they hung the clothes at night, God supernaturally laundered the clothing with, with a supernatural light. And if you if you gained a few pounds the night before, God will cause your arms to grow, so they always fit. So you, ne you never had to have anything tailored. You never had to have anything resized. And you never really got a workout, because whenever you had to come into a valley, God's glory was under your feet, so you, no matter where you were, you walked on double ground. So God brought the mountains low and the valleys up. So, and for 40 years, and they never needed, they never needed new shoes, because God's glory took care of everything for them. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate that number? That's huge. Wow. huge, isn't it? All right. Now let's come to Purim. We'll skip the next, the feast of next, uh, next year. Purim. God saved the Jews, the entire Persian, the Jews in the entire Persian Empire, and Persian Empire, he saved them all from extermination. And God, through divine providence, reversed all the plans of Haman. How big is that miracle? It's huge, isn't it? It's probably not at the scale of the other things, but it's huge. Now we come to Hanukkah. And just from your understanding of Hanukkah, I mean, God kept the, kept the lamps burning in the menorah for eight days instead of one. Is that really a big deal? Yes. yes. It is, but is it a big deal in comparison to the other piece? No. I'll say no. So I've struggled with this for years and years and years. I did not understand what is the big deal. I go, Lord, yes, you saved the you saved the Jews through six thousand Jews versus forty seven thousand Syrian Greeks. That's awesome, but God, you always do that. You you use David with small armies to defeat men. You use Gideon with a small army to defeat the Midianites. Yeah. So, Lord, you always do things with a few to defeat them, to, to confound the multitudes. Yeah. So, Lord, I don't understand what is the significance of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Krell gave us one perspective last night. I want to give you a different perspective tonight. Because Jesus says that we are the light of the world, right? So, let our light shine before men. Now, the Feast of Hanukkah. We always look at Hanukkah as, a, as a, a feast that celebrates a few Jews defeating a multitude of external, external evil forces. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanna, I, I'm going to bring you back into my technical geeky stuff for a moment. So I'm going to put on my network engineer hat for just a second. How many of you know what a firewall is? Mm -hmm. uh, two of you. Okay, so you're getting harder than I now, how many of you have, how many of you when you go home have internet access? All of you, right? 
and you have your wireless connections, right? And you, you AT&T or some provider can install this device and, and it allows you to surf the internet and do whatever you need to do, right? Well, there's a device that your provider installed in your home, uh, at your house, that keeps the bad guys out. And that device is called a firewall. Well, guess what? The way I've studied Hanukkah is that is, is as if I'm looking at a firewall. Hanukkah is about keeping the bad guys out. But you know what? What about the bad guys that are already on the inside? Now, for years and years, corporations have been so focused, I mean, especially in the early days of my career, we were so focused on keeping the bad guys out. But, but you know what? Most of the attacks don't, are, are not coming from the outside. They're not coming from Russia. Most of the attacks are coming from the internal Amen. employees. Amen. The Feast of Hanukkah is a feast about cleansing the church. It's about cleansing the inside. It's about getting the Jezebel. It's about, it's about getting all that's impure out. And we don't need to look for Jezebel. We just need to deal with our own stuff. Right? We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to we need to we need to unify as one and really become a body. Because we're so busy fighting each other. And it's like a cancer that's within the body of Christ. But we need to get that stuff out and unify and become like one. Amen. Does that make sense? So I think it with, from that perspective, Hanukkah is huge because we want to become the light of the world. Amen. And Dealing with our stuff, I think it's more difficult than parting the Red Sea. But you know what? Through God, all things are possible. Amen. That means our character needs to be refined. We need to get our we need to get our affairs in order. We don't wait till we're about to die to get our affairs in order. We should get our affairs in order every single day. Amen. And whatever you're dealing with, whatever issue you're dealing with, we need to get those things in order. Because we want to live lives worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. Because the only Christ that people in the earth are going to see is the way you live your life. So, I mean, do we live with hypocrisy? Or do we live in truth? Because our light needs to shine that people may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Because most of the earth is not going to see, is not going to step into a church. So the only church they're going to receive is by the way you live your life in public. Amen? Amen. And we live in a day where even the church is, is embracing immorality and accepting immorality, yes. immorality as being right. Amen. We need to stand for what's right. Apostasy. It's yeah, exactly it's such an apostasy, and it, and it's scary to see where where, where things are going. Is going. It's it's and, and and a lot of the world looks to America as as their um, as their you know what's example. the word example. as their example. Mm -hmm. It's not. And, 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 and you know we, 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 we need to live life worthy of being the example. Right? We, we really need to. Because I, I am looking forward to seeing the greatest salvation of souls this earth has ever seen. The greatest salvation. And um, I'm going to we'll go ahead and close this Facebook recording. May Heavenly Father tonight, I just ask you to bless your people tonight. Bless them, Father God, with an anointing that they have never known before. May your glory be so revealed, Lord God, and the Lord God. And raise up an intact army. Raise up Joel's army to do great exploits in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.